that's your best bet. Like when we talk about being ahead of the competition, if you have a clarity of vision that you stay consistent with and you you have to deviate some, but you keep those deviations minimal and you understand why you're doing them and you keep them sort of self-limited, that's your best chance. It's a race. Hopefully it's not like the tortoise and the hare. You wanna be both the hare and the tortoise. Out in front and steadfast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Secret Leaders from Infamous Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is the UK Startup Podcast. I talk to entrepreneurs at the top of their game so you can leave with ideas to take your business to the next level. Today, I'm talking to a veteran of the software as a service world, Evan Goldberg. He's a founder and EVP of NetSuite, business management software that does everything from finances to inventory management. The company has been going since 1998 and was acquired by Oracle for just over $9 billion in 2016. Evan and I talk about that sale, how you can stay in the hot seat for so long and more. But before all that, you know the drill. We're going to go back to the start. Yeah, I grew up in a, in a family um, where my dad worked for a company for his entire career, uh, basically 30 plus years, provided a lot of stability in our household. And he was very focused on making sure his kids got a great education. He moved to a town because of the school, um, even though we couldn't, they couldn't quite afford it yet. I should say they, both my mom and my dad always really valued that we would have, you know, great teachers and, and great opportunities. And so what, one of the things that happened was, you know, that I had an opportunity to use computers at a really early age. Personal computers weren't generally available yet. Um, when I was quite young, it was really with the Apple II in 1977. But even before that, I got a chance to work on computers at the local uh, middle school, junior high school, fifth, sixth grade kind of walk over to the next level school and work on a digital equipment corporation computer. And that was an eye-opening experience for me. So, you know, if, in terms of how it connects to what I do today, at a very early age, I loved programming. I loved making things on the computer that I thought could improve people's daily lives. I mean, that was always what I was really interested in from very early on. So what drove you into an organization like Oracle? Like what was the state of Oracle when you joined and, and talk to us a little bit about your early life there? I had not heard of Oracle. My sister um, worked for an investment firm. Um, Oracle had just gone public and she was buying Oracle shares like they were go going out of style because she felt that Larry Ellison was onto something absolutely huge. So I had wanted, really wanted to go work for Apple because I had, you know, the, I got the Apple II pretty much as soon as it came out and I got the Mac immediately when it came out and I loved um, Apple's vision and Apple's technology. But my sister really encouraged me to take a look at Oracle. I didn't know anything about databases, but I got an opportunity to meet Larry and um, it was an amazing time at, at the company. It was growing really, really fast. They hired like practically half of the computer science graduating class from Harvard. So I had a lot of friends going there. It just, it worked out that, that I, I figured that's how I'd give it a try. They kind of eased my way into California. I mean, I, I lived in Boston, which was kind of the last generation of computing. Like I mentioned that company, Digital Equipment Corporation, that's, you know, way really, really old name from way back in the day. That was a Massachusetts headquartered company. But I knew that the sort of center of gravity for high tech was, from my perspective, was really moving to the West Coast. So, you know, my experience at Oracle was really transformative for me in my career, but it was, I owe a lot to my sister for that choice. 
And did you get a good chance to to meet Larry Ellison and uh, and hang out with him in your early days? What was your first impression of him? Yeah, well, he interviewed everybody, uh, all the engineers, even though there was probably about 900 people at the company, and he was still interviewing all the engineers. So I, I, when I came out to California in February. This is of 1987. And, you know, February, for the, if you've ever been to Boston, <laughs> it's like the worst month. You're so tired of winter, and you're stepping off the curb into, like, you know, three-inch slush ice puddles. <laughs> and, and then you come out to California. And of course, if you've been to California in February, it's a little bit different. It's incredibly green. Everything is green. I didn't want to go back. But uh, that visit, I, I got to uh, meet with Larry and hear his vision. And he's, you know, he's an extraordinary individual. And that came through right away. And I did definitely get to interact with him quite a bit during my time, my first stint at Oracle. Uh, again, he's very involved in the technology, loves the technology. I moved from working on the sort of core Oracle database technology to a new group started by Mark Benioff, which was making Oracle work on the Mac. And that, that was, to me, that was like sort of the the merging of my two passions, my new passion uh, for Oracle and information and databases and managing information and my longstanding passion for great user interfaces, making things easy for sort of average everyday users to get their work done. What was your like early learnings working somewhere like Oracle? Did you get a lot of opportunity to learn from great people? You know, you just, we've already in the first five minutes name checked two of the most infamous people from the Bay Area, right? Larry Ellison, Mark Benioff. Most people don't get an opportunity to even see a lecture from one of these people, let alone be coached and managed by them. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it was a great, it was a great experience. They're both visionaries in their own way. And at the same time, uh, I just got to, you know, really learn what programming for real users and making real commercial software is sort of all about. It's an interesting combination of sort of the artistic creativity side, which both of them actually have, as well as the hardcore engineering side, which I would describe a little bit more uh, to the Lowry side of things. But, you know, that combination of great vision, great ability to articulate your vision to customers and to users, and then actually, you know, using engineering to build great technology. That's what it's all about uh, to this very day. Yeah, so I was there for eight years and I worked on a bunch of different projects, mostly around making Oracle databases easier for, you know, everyday people to access. One of the last things I worked on, and this was a, a great example of Larry having the vision, but not quite getting the timing right. I worked on, um, Oracle was involved in interactive television trials. This is in the early 90s. And the idea was you could, you know, turn on your TV and access any movie or any TV show at any time on demand. But this, you know, right about that time in the early mid 90s, the internet uh, started to take hold. And I was fascinated by it. And I really wanted to be part of it, to be part of the, of the next sort of generation of technology. You know, I saw my opportunity to create a company, and so I left Oracle and started my first company. I'd always wanted to start and run a software company pretty much from the earliest days. So that was sort of my dream come true. Even though the first company didn't actually uh, work out in the long run, it was it was an absolutely amazing experience and provided the seeds by which um, I ended up starting NetSuite. Well, let's talk about that first, because I think this is one of the um, the misconceptions when you get to zoom in and 
meet a founder and hear about, you know, founder of NetSuite and you read the headlines, you know, $9 billion plus acquisition from a couple of years ago anyway. I know that's a little bit out of date now. Yeah, that seems cheap now. Exactly. They got a nice big discount. And I think the reality is it's super easy for people to read that and be like, cool, one hit wonder this guy. I was an overnight success in, you know, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Overnight success just took me like 300 iterations and all the times to fail and, and lots of ramen. Certainly you read a, a lot lately about companies started by people in college and that's the one thing they do and they become, um, you know, huge successes on the first go. That's still the exception. And so, I, you know, I, I think I was a little more typical, though I only had one company that failed, but I got that uh, checked off my list. But it was an amazing experience. And, you know, I learned about running a business. I learned the vagaries of trying to figure out what's happening in your business and, and understanding it better so you can make better business decisions. And that, again, that sort of led to my to my next company. I mean, Larry actually helped me out on my first company. It was called Embed Software. It was all about uh, technology to make your websites more interactive. Uh, what eventually Flash ended up doing. They were our major competitor before they were acquired by a much larger company, Macromedia, which became Adobe. That was our most difficult sort of hurdle and roadblock is that they had the marketing muscle. We had a loyal group of followers, uh, but we couldn't you know, turn it into a really viable business. Larry used to call it my graphic stuff. Um, I called him up one day and, and said, you know, the graphic stuff, probably not going to work out. I'd like to shift gears. And what I'm really interested in doing is business software, which is partially because after you sell, uh, try to sell software to website designers, you realize they don't, at least back then, didn't necessarily have a lot of money to spend on software versus businesses did. Uh, but the other driving impetus was just running my own business and seeing how lame the tools were to help you with your business, to help you track your sales, to help you track your customers, to help you sell online, to help you even figure out where all your money is. I knew that there was a vast unmet need for small companies. So the, you know, those two things drove me to really want to do business software. And, and fortunately, Larry had been thinking about the exact same thing. He thought the next great company would be one that provided something like QuickBooks or you know the other kind of small business accounting packages in the US, the biggest being QuickBooks, but provided that on the web. So you, could, you didn't have to buy and install software, you just ran it on, on the web. And that was really his vision for what became the software as a service and, and the cloud. And this is in 1998. You know, I had a vision of, I wanna be able to see where my next customers are, where my next sales are coming from. So that's beyond just like the accounting. And he agreed that ultimately we'd have to build an entire suite, but we'd start with accounting because that's where all your information on your customers, your products, um, your employees, all that is sort of in there and, and build out from there. And so this was in the course of about a five minute phone conversation, literally. And we sort of designed the next big company uh, that we wanted to try to create. And this one um, actually took. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. 
Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Let's get into it then. So, you know, explain to the layman that might not know what is NetSuite, but most importantly, what is NetSuite today and how you articulate it? And what was NetSuite when you first articulated it and came up with a vision? Yeah, well, I mean, our vision is all from that very beginning was pretty simple. It's basically everything you need to grow your business all in one place. I mean, I wanted one place to go where I could see who my current customers were, who my next customers were, who my best customers were, um, how much I was spending in developing and building for those customers, how I was going to make payroll and ensure that I could make payroll for the long term. Those kind of questions that you have about your business, some of which are you know big picture questions, some of them are very you know tactical day to day questions. I, I wanted one place to go to get to get all that information. And so that's still what we provide for businesses that are fast growing, um, that have increasing complexity. They've outgrown sort of the, the simple systems that they were using to help them track their business when they had just a couple people. That's who NetSuite serves. And we provide a business application and a one system that really helps you grow your business more effectively. I mean, you do it as an entrepreneur, you're doing all the work, your product or your service, that's what will ultimately make you successful. If that isn't good, um, doesn't serve customer needs effectively, there's no system in the world that can help you. But what systems can do is trip you up, just make you sort of blind to things that are going on. And that's how I felt when I was running my first company. I couldn't really get a handle on what was going on. We had five different customer lists. One was in our sales tool, one was in QuickBooks. Support was done over email. We sold on the web with another tool. I I never really could get a handle on everything that was going on. And one of the great things we provide at NetSuite is is a dashboard um, with all the critical facts about your business, what's important to you, your business is unique, um, but also informed by all the business that we have that are like yours. Uh, And then this is, you know, one place that executives can go to find out the key information, what they need to know today, what they need to do today. And then it's not just a high level view. You can drill down on everything in that dashboard and see what's behind the numbers. Got it. Okay, so 
breaking that down into bits, how did you start? Well, you know, it was really Larry's um, vision that we'd start with accounting. That was, I think, really critical for us because if you're going to support the entire business, you have to start with the core. And that's the core financials, the core information about what's happening in your business. So that's what we started. We built a small business accounting package accessible over the web. I mean, and that was the, that was really the key differentiation at that point because there were, you know, there were small business accounting packages, but you had to use them on one computer. I mean, one of the frustrations I had when I was running Embed was that if, if the person that, we had like an office manager and the QuickBooks was on that person's computer. If that person was, you know, busy surfing the web, as they called it back then, I, I couldn't see the QuickBooks file. I, you know, I couldn't see what, what was happening in my business. So uh, just the fact that you could access your business information anytime, anywhere, that's what we sort of repeated like a mantra back then, anytime, anywhere. Larry was really the driver of that vision. He felt, he said to me, he said, you know, we had sort of mainframe computers, then we had personal computers and client server and, and package software. That was sort of the second wave of computing. And the third wave is this, you know, our web applications. And this one's going to really stick. He said, this is how people are going to be doing things for the next thousand years. I don't know about after that. Uh, but he had that conviction that everything, and this is in 1998, that everything was going this way to being run on the web and that small businesses shouldn't have to deal with things like installing software and maintaining databases. I thought it showed a high degree of self-awareness that he knew that people didn't want to manage databases, um, you know, that we would do it for them. Um, I met another visionary individual at a party at his house, and that was Steve Jobs. And Larry had been touting our product and our company. And, and he said to me, he said, Larry's really excited about this, but does anybody really want to do accounting in a browser? And I was sort of like, I don't know. I, Larry seems to think so. I guess we'll see. Um, but it was only literally days after this that we actually got our product working so that we could see our own finances. We could import our file from QuickBooks and see it. And I happened to see it in action at home in a browser. That was that aha moment, which was like, yeah, Larry was right. And uh, I think this thing could, could really fly. So I guess, you know, his, his name's been brought up so much. It's amazing how uh, pivotal Larry Ellison actually was at the founding of the company. So can you frame that for us? Can you give us some idea of like that founding team and really like the first couple of years of your journey? What was the, what was the team makeup? How quickly were you growing? How much money did you raise? Who was involved? Like, give us a bit of an idea, a sense of the start. I was out of money because <laughs> I had spent all my uh, Oracle uh, stock on my first company. Uh, so Larry put in all the money initially. Um, there were just four of us. I moved over our founders from the previous company, basically. Unfortunately, that was all I was able to afford initially. Um, and that's, you know, the challenge when your company uh, fails. It's not, it, it, we joke about it as being that mandatory failure, but there's real people involved and there's real disappointment there. And that was definitely a difficult, a difficult time. But you know, uh, hope springs eternal. Um, and so, you know, we had this rebirth as a new company. We moved, we moved offices. Um, I had just gotten married. We were about to have my first child. So that was a year of tremendous change for me. You know, the first days were incredible. We had, we had such a mission. We knew exactly what we needed to do. Um, we found the tools to do it. 
Uh, we were, in, we, we actually uh, were working in a small office above a hair salon. The hair salon would play lots of loud music and we'd have to bang with brooms on the floor to get them to turn it down so we could concentrate. You know, it was mostly just us for the first year, just, you know, heads down. And within a year we had a version. Um, the company back then and the product was called Net Ledger. I told you about one sort of watershed moment was when we saw our system run actually running in a browser. But the next one was when we developed something called the executive dashboard. And that really was the part of the product that most exemplified what we were trying to do. This one place that you'd go as a entrepreneur to find out sort of everything you need to know um, and everything you need to do to help to help grow your business. We would, you know, like every struggling company you're trying to get as much press as possible, you release probably way more press releases than, uh, than is actually necessary. But one of them was about that. And we got a story that was picked up. Larry read about it. He called me immediately and he said, oh, so now you have this dashboard thing. Okay, now I want to log in to NetSuite. So he actually wanted the login to our NetSuite account, presumably so that he could see how we were doing, uh, how we were spending his money. But more importantly for him was to critique and uh, otherwise basically become the product manager for the dashboard. That's what basically ended up happening. He would call me every week or so with a new idea. Oh, you need it so, you know, you need to be able to have this drop down so you can change all of the comparison periods for everything on the dashboard, things like that. And I would happily program them and then, you know, send them an email and say, okay, try it now. Um, so that was, it was, it was definitely a version of agile way before anybody knew about Agile. Yeah, so you mentioned, you you alluded to it earlier, but obviously you were developing this over the period of the dot-com bubble bursting. So is the answer of how you held out during that period, is the answer as simple as what you said earlier, which is Larry just doesn't really flap at these situations and was able to fund us through, or was there sort of more to it? That is definitely part of it, and you need the money. There's not, you know, you need the money um, uh, if you want to keep your momentum. But more importantly, it was just a belief in our vision and that it was bigger than the vagaries of what might happen with stocks and stock prices and, and companies coming and going that, um, you know, we were looking at creating something sort of much bigger than that. We didn't hire as much during that time, but, uh, you know, fortunately, the overall trend was to doing this software in a new way. And, and there was some point after that, somewhere in probably in the early 2000s, where it didn't feel as much that we were pushing a big rock up a hill, but instead that the at least it was flattening. <laughs> and whereas before we would have to convince people why they should trust us with their information, at some point it flipped to our competitors who were selling on-premise software having to answer, why should I have to maintain this software and, and maintain this database. Um, it changed a headwind into a tailwind. And that was reflective in our sort of hyper growth that we had in the early and mid 2000s, you know, doubling every year. So you're acquired by Oracle. Like, how did you feel after selling it? Um, you know, there's nothing like having your own company. It's a great feeling. And I'm glad I was able to experience that for almost 20 years. And, you know, there's always going to be some sense of loss there when uh, you become part of something bigger. But you have to balance that with the amazing resources you get at your at your fingertips, um, so to speak. The things we're doing with our next generation of user experience at NetSuite, I don't believe we'd ever be able to do as an independent company. Our ability to, to expand internationally, it's a trade-off. 
for me, I've, it's, it, it really, I've always been driven by the same thing, which is to make great technology that people use on, you know, on a daily basis to improve their lives. In this case, their, 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 their lives at work. And so that mission, you know, was unchanged. And it was kind of like I felt after we went public. Um, you know, it was great. I went to the New York Stock Exchange. I rang the bell and then I flew home. And the next day I was back into work figuring out how I could make, make NetSuite better and help reach new customers. So that was sort of, you know, it's a unique event. Um, but then you go on <laughs> with, the, with your, your day-to-day life and trying to achieve that, that bigger vision. What would you say your most important lesson has been or your most important learning about building a business? What is your like one key insight? What makes you so much more successful than your competitors? Well, I mean, having a clarity of vision. Look, we were lucky enough that our vision was, you know, came in a five minute phone conversation and we pretty much stuck with it. I mean, we moved up market somewhat, then we moved, now we've moved a little bit more down market or a mix. We have a very kind of mixed portfolio of small companies and medium sized companies. But what we, the benefits and the promise has remained exactly the same. You know, not every company can do that, but that's your best bet. Like when we talk about being ahead of the competition, if you have a clarity, a vision that you stay consistent with and you you have to deviate some, but you keep those deviations minimal and you understand why you're doing them and you keep them sort of self-limited, that's your best chance. It's a race. Hopefully it's not like the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> and you're the hare. You want to be both the hare and the tortoise. <laughs> Out in front and steadfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, and when you say like having this big, clear vision, right? You know, you, you talk a lot about North Star metric. So how do you get that? Like, you know, it's very easy to say it. Like what kind of work do you do around that and actually embedding it into team culture and values and how you actually do work around here? Well, the degree to which you can quantify your progress obviously is is a huge help. And of course, you quant- you try to turn the qualitative into the quantitative by asking customers how likely they are to recommend you to a friend or colleague, that sort of thing. And that's very helpful, but there is a very much a subjective element too. And, and that's what you get when you go to your user conference and you hear how people feel about using your product. And they'll give you some of that in comments, but there's nothing like the personal interaction and, and talking to someone that, that is using your product and see how it's transformed their day or transformed, you know, what, regardless of whether you're selling to consumers or you're selling to businesses, that's where you want to hear echoes of the vision that you set forward when you started the company. What would you say happened before you had this insight? So I guess what happened with the company when you weren't doing it? Is there anything that went wrong? Can you give any examples of sort of lack of clarity around North Star metric and not having one? So one of the things we would do is early in the company, we'd I'd say we'd cater to our largest customers more than was optimal um, because they are your biggest customers. They're giving you their, their money and more of it than your other customers. You have a tendency to want to really make sure they're happy, sometimes at the expense of your broader set of customers. And when you, you know you're doing that when you look at your <laughs> list of features for your product and 50% or more of them say for customer X, that's when you've really deviated from your vision. I mean, unless your vision is to have a very small number of customers. If your vision is to have a lot of customers, you better not have half of your product features being for individual customers, no matter how much they 
they're paying you. And I think we saw that early in the company and we had to do a, a major transformation in how we delivered our technology to allow it to be customized and tailored for bigger customers that have specific needs, but not have that be kind of on the main line of our product development, have that be something that can be done by consultants, by them, and that we could focus on the capabilities that are important for the, you know, the largest, the largest group of our customers. So I would say that, you know, we saw uh, where we were going off, off target and we corrected. Yeah. Love it. And I guess, you know, the, the follow on to that question is what obvious stuff actually happened when you started using your insight, right? So, um, when you course correct, you know, how can you quantify like how fast the effect is? Is it super noticeable? I'm certainly, you know, you're surveying your customers and, and, uh, we try to do more and more of that embedding surveys into the product, you know, trying to understand, whether people are successful, how much they're using the different capabilities that you have, uh, you know, all kinds of product sort of telemetry that you can put in and customer telemetry to, f- to figure out whether you're really improving your product or service and your customers are, are appreciating that. And uh, certainly if you're building the features that the, uh, the capabilities in your product or service that the most customers want, you should see those metrics move, improve faster. I mean, it's pretty basic, but sometimes the simplest things are the most effective. Just ask your customers how they like using your product, how they like the different capabilities, are they using it? And don't make excuses when those numbers aren't what you think they should be. I mean, sometimes you have to abandon an effort and say, you know what, we thought that this would be a great direction for us, but we've been doing it for quite some time and we still are not seeing the movement that we expected. We should shift those resources elsewhere. Right. So no, no jumping off a cliff just because someone told you to. Exactly. Look down first. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time, man. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. Went to MasterCard and told them about what I'm trying to do and the vision we have. I've been laughed out of the room, literally. They said, have you opened the MasterCard rules? Like, yeah, I read them page to page start to finish all three books. So you probably have seen that it's not legal to what they call crotch fronting. Says, yeah, I've seen that. Why are you here? Says, because I think it's the right thing to do. And I think you should work with us to do that because you will benefit because of this, 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 and that. And I've been laughed out. That was Shahab Bielek, the founder and CEO of Curve, the fintech that combines all your cards into one app. A disruptive child, he found his feet in the Israeli Defense Force in a special forces unit, no less, and built and sold four businesses before founding Curve. Find out the secrets to his success on the next episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and I was the host of this episode. Editing was done by Lower Street Media with Will Stolomon, our head of podcast, Bring It All Together.